This is the Maxlexia podcast. Here, it's all dyslexia all the time. A place to explore it in all its complex beauty, changing the way we and the world perceive the dyslexic mind. I'm Laurie Catella, your host, and I'm ready to help guide you to see and celebrate your own dyslexic brilliance. Together, we will change the world. Everybody, welcome to the Maxlexia podcast series. And today, a little bit different. I'm trying new things, exciting new things. New YouTube channel up, Maxlexia, if you want to check that out. So we've got all the social media linked on maxlexia.com. If you want to, if you want to click on any of those links, you'll get directed to the right place. And um, in the meantime, uh, I'm still editing part two of the dyslexic common narrative of uh, academic experiences. So as I promised last week, I think we had, um, who did we have? We have, we had Emma, Etan, and Oakley last week, moving out of high school into some higher education experiences and, and then a part three after that. So working on that, also launching a quest for Monday on the Max Lexus signature program. So lots of exciting things going on, busy, creative, keeping things moving forward because you know, that's, that's what we need to keep doing. So for today, this, I'm calling this careless mistakes. And right now I'm working on the educator excellence series, satellite series for Maxlexia and very much sort of in a, in a headspace of education. And I guess we're all thinking about that as well in terms of, I did put a blog post up about the uncertainty coming up into the new school year, many, many places around the world, is certainly in North America, struggling with how we're going to come back safely, how we're going to do this, how it's going to work for what, is, what it's going to look like, basically. And so a lot of that on the mind. So today I decided to go with what I want to call careless mistakes. Why do I choose that title? Well, because many, 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 many all dyslexic students have basically been told that in a math setting, in the math classroom, when they've written an exam or a test that, oh, this was wonderful, but you made a lot of careless mistakes. And I'm here to say with my experience in dyslexia and my experience with math in dyslexia, which I call mathlexia, that that's not actually the case. They are not careless mistakes. Now, another reason I want to talk about quote unquote careless mistakes is that with Maxlexia, I'm very much focused on the emotional and psychological response of people with dyslexia to early academic experiences. And dyslexic students, for the most part, work five times harder than anyone else to accomplish the same task. And they really, really, really do care about their work. And I feel that the word care less implies a lack of caring that they're bringing to their work. And when they put it out there and they work so hard and they do put everything into it and they're told that they're being careless, I think that there's an emotional negative impact to their self-confidence in terms of doing math. So for me, that's another reason that the term careless mistakes, I think is a pretty loaded word. And like I'm going to describe, not necessarily careless actually, 
but based on a, a bunch of layers of other reasons. So just like in writing for dyslexics, you'll often notice, and if you're dyslexic, you know what I'm talking about. You'll notice you'll be writing and you'll literally drop, you'll just drop a word, a couple of words um, in your sentence and you just keep writing. If you go back to read that, you don't even notice. You reread it and you fill in the blank because you know that that word was supposed to be there and you don't even see that it's not there basically. And really the same thing happens in math. So what I've noticed is, as I said, they're called careless mistakes, but they're actually not. Things like, for example, um, I guess with integers, dropping a negative sign from one line to the next, working on an algebraic problem, or even often dropping a whole term from one line to the next, the 7x squared is missing from the following line, just drop the entire term. And sometimes even flipping things like numbers, I've seen things like, I don't know, like 2x cubed becoming 3x squared on the next line. So these kind of things happen over and over and over again. Now there really is a reason for that and it really is not careless. I'll tell you in my experience what I've learned in terms of dyslexia and in terms of math, there's a couple of reasons and a lot of them are the same with writing, but really number one is brain speed. Literally brain speed. The speed at which I have witnessed dyslexic students having such an intuitive mathematical abilities that they see the problem and they know exactly what they need to do. They see the hundred steps right in a row in front of them and, and they just want to get down there and get, get it done. And it's almost like zipping from, I guess, one end of the universe to the other in a wormhole just in with, with, with nanoseconds. That kind of that kind of mental speed that just zips them through to the end of the to the end of the problem and they want to get that down. Now, their hands are not the, are not keeping up with their brain speed. And usually that is where the problem lies because they're writing, they think they've written the 7x squared, but they haven't written the 7x squared and they're just keeping going, keeping going. And oftentimes, you know, they'll they'll fill in the blanks and they don't they don't actually see that they've dropped the term for sure. And I'll come back to that in a minute. And another thing that I've recognized is that many, many, many times there's a huge piece that I call the seeing piece where dyslexic students actually aren't even seeing what we assume that they're seeing, what we have put out there that we think that they're going to see the same way that we do. I mean, and I have a few examples here. I, I'll show you one of them um, where the, the, the bracket has become a number one instead of a bracket in front of something. I just have so many examples of those and I do go to math conferences and present about dyslexia and about how it impacts on math because it's a very specific piece and I have found fascinating things and I love sharing those kind of things with an audience of math educators because it's just a wonderful, a, a really wonderful experience. So the seeing piece is really huge. Oftentimes the way we draw diagrams, they're not perceiving it in the same way. If you put a measurement on one side, they don't see it there. If the parabola measurement is on the, on the left and not straight down the middle, they don't see it as being the same, the same, the same thing, which is really, imp really interesting. And I, I would say the last possible layer to this would be the impulsivity. And dyslexia is often associated with some ADHD or ADD and ADHD components to it. 
And so there really is an impulsivity. And the interesting thing that this plays out in math is that they're literally grabbing things. And here's an example, for example, 3x plus 5 equaling 2x minus 5. And immediately just taking the 3x and the 2x, boom, adding them together, that's 5x. And plus 5 minus 5 is 0, ending up with 5x equaling 0. And not that they don't know that you need to move things and change and change the signs as you move across the equal sign, but it's that sort of impulsivity of just grabbing the visual numbers and putting them together in just that quick, very quick way. The other thing, very interestingly, at one talk I gave, um, trying to think where it was, uh, not sure if it was in the US or Canada, it may, may have been in Canada, but... I had someone in the audience who worked for the government making the matriculation exams. He came up at the end and we had a really interesting conversation about the fact that he's, he said what they do, and you know students say it all the time, they're like, well, they're trying to trick me. Well, yeah, they are trying to trick you. He gave me the name for that. He said, we put into our exams logical distractors, meaning in a multiple choice, for example, that you're going to have one that somehow logically makes sense, but it's not the right answer. And they do want to, I guess the purpose of them is really to to separate out, like, are you really understanding this? Or are you just sort of partially understanding this? When he heard my talk about some of this visual stuff and about the impulsivity and about some of these things, he came up and he said, you know, I have a different perspective on this now because I recognize that for some students, the logical distractors aren't actually fair because they're just grabbing things on a visual level very quickly, even though they know how to do the math, but they're, they're going to just gravitate to that one that is quote unquote meant to trick them. And when they, when they say that to me and they're like, well, they're trying to trick me. Yep, they are. Uh, so that was really fascinating. Now, a couple of things not to do when students are like this, and I know the tendency is very much to say, just slow down a bit, just slow down and you won't make the careless mistakes. And my experience with that is that you can't tell them to slow down. The minute you tell them to slow down, they can't do the problem anymore. They've lost track of those hundred steps in a row that they see very, very clearly right down the middle that they need to, that they need to finish and get the, the question answered correctly. The minute you tell them to slow down, what some, one of them, ex, oh dear, I don't have it with me. One of them described it to me just recently. Oh, he said the minute that that happens, he falls down into a pit, a dark pit, and he can't see his way out. And I thought, that's exactly what I've witnessed. I've seen that happen. The minute you slow them down or the minute you try to redirect something, forget it. They're falling in the dark pit and they can't find their way up. So slowing down does not work. This slowing down part actually has an impact as well on word problems. Many, many, again, most dyslexic students will say that they struggle with word problems. And I'm sure it's probably written on everybody's report card that they can do algebra, but they struggle with word problems as soon as it becomes um, based in words. Now, the interesting thing, the same student that told me about the dark pit, when he is told to slow down his, his writing and his work, 
and his solving of problems, he said when he slows down the reading of a word problem, instead of understanding what the question is asking, I end up just admiring the print. And really for me, I had to write that one down because that that's just about it. So you can see how slowing down with the best intentions of telling a student that, that it will be helpful to them in many, many ways actually, is not actually helping them perform better in math. Telling them to look their work over after. Look over your work. Before you hand in your test, check over your work. Unfortunately, same kind of thing that happens with reading, they'll fill in the blanks. If they've dropped a term, they're not gonna see it. They're gonna fill it in. If they drop a word in a sentence, you know, they tend to read it as if, as if it's actually there because they know that that word was supposed to be there. So telling students to look over their work doesn't actually help them produce a better result. Now, that being said, and I wrote down notes because really there's so much to unpack here, but I was trying to make just a quick little, a, a quick little vlog, but I'll get the stuff out that needs to, that needs to come through here. So a couple of things that I found do work. What does work for dyslexic students in math that are being told consistently they are making careless mistakes? Number one, I would say, and it's very simple. Certainly if a student has accommodations for separate setting in, in, a, in, a, in their own room, in a quiet room, they're able to do vocalization. Or I just say, talk me through, talk me through, talk me through. And this is powerful stuff. When a dyslexic student is able to kinesthetically talk themselves through the process, of how to do the math problem, impeccable, impeccable math. And I think that is really, really important because it's a very simple, very simple fix, very simple way that they can be able to show that they know what they're doing and how to do it without some of these, some of these types of errors coming on. Now, second thing, this one is unusual because often students are given well, students with dyslexia anyway are given an accommodation of scribe. And scribe being someone that they can vocalize and they can say the words and someone will, will write down the mechanics of the words. And I think very, very rarely do we as assign a scribe for math. Now, I think, not for every student, but I've had some that I've seen that a scribe for math would be the most incredible thing because they're absolutely able to say it out loud, but being able to write that down properly goes right off the rails. And that brings me to the next point. Oftentimes, the speed at which the brain is solving this problem is very much hindered by the mechanics of writing. Oftentimes, well, I'd say more often than not, the handwriting and the mechanics of handwriting for some dyslexic students are basically excruciating. Really, really the mechanics of it and how to write it is almost painful for them. So trying to keep up with the brain speed, with the mechanics, breaking them down really doesn't work. And um, oftentimes they're, they're aware of this and they're trying to do better, especially in a test or an exam, because they've often had the comments of, I can't read your writing or, 
you need to make your, your work neater or your work is too messy. I can't follow your work. Now, fair enough, because some of the handwriting I've seen truly is unreal. And not only that, oftentimes the way that a dyslexic student will play out their math on the paper is not in a linear fashion. Not linear logical left brain, this to this to this in, in the right order. There'll be a piece over here and a piece on the right and then a piece down here. Kind of all in the way that their brain is seeing it, I suppose, uh, putting the pieces together in different places. So it really is a difficult piece of something to, to correct. But that's why I say, you know, scribe can be very, very useful in those situations because the student can talk it out and the scribe can put it in a, in a very legible format. So first, but without a scribe even, something that I have found really, really effective is just giving larger work surfaces, a larger writing surface. That depends on the student. That could be anything from a much bigger piece of paper. That could also be, and I love them, that could be a, a whiteboard. It could be a smaller whiteboard, a personal one, or a, a somewhat smaller whiteboard, or it can be the whiteboard in a classroom a really big writing space. And at that point, the, the things in the mechanics of them actually creating the, the words and the letters to write down and the, and the numbers is a little less difficult because they're able to write it bigger and it's not trying to be on a smaller piece of paper. So I have found that to be extremely, extremely helpful for a lot of students. And it's really interesting. I just have a, a quick story at the end here because relating to the relating to the handwriting piece and the scribe piece, but I'm working with a student this summer whom I've never met in person because as we know, we are all working virtually at this point. So all my clients are online. Now, a lot of them I've known for years and we continue to work and that's okay. But when you're meeting someone new on that format, especially I recognize now how much I pick up of, I guess, um, nonverbal cues when, when I meet somebody for the first time and I'll, I'll look through their book and I'll check not so much I, the grades. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the handwriting. I'm looking at the, the way that it's organized. I watch to see, you know, if nails are bitten and in terms of anxiety and stress, because I know for a lot of most dyslexic students, lots of anxiety surrounding the academic experience. And, and also, are they left-handed or are they right-handed? So I'm working with this new student and I started to recognize that what was happening is he would vocalize very quickly. Okay, 3x, then I have to subtract 5x from the other side, then I have to put the minus 7 on the other side, so it's plus 7, so 5x equals 10x equals 2. And he was doing this extremely quickly because, like I said, the speed is very quick. And I was writing it down at, because linear logical left brain, I had to write it down. And he was absolutely impeccable in his algebra. But this kid is failing math. This happens over and over and over again. And at one point I recognized, I said, I said, are you even writing this down? And he said, no, somewhat guiltily. And I said, that's okay, that's okay. I said, I just wanted, I was just recognizing that you're, you're doing this very quickly. And basically I was scribing for him and it was working out perfectly. And then because we, we aren't in person, I said, uh, is your handwriting atrocious? And he was a bit shocked. And he said, absolutely atrocious. And I thought, that's what I thought. So he's been told over and over again 
to to that his work is too messy and that he needs to slow down and that he needs to to make it neater and he's failing math because all of these things layer on top and and being told to slow down throws him into this is the one that t- said that throws him into the into the dark pit so all of these things together are layering together to prevent a kid from passing and excelling in math because his math abilities are absolutely on point in terms of his algebra, in terms of his abilities, but a lot of these things are hindering his success. So I'll be working with him to get some of these things in place that I discussed today. And I just really hope that for some of you that can be really helpful in terms of the the, the ways that you can help some of your students if you have dyslexic students in the classroom. And you definitely have dyslexic students in the classroom because at least 20% of the population is dyslexic. So. Hopefully that can be helpful. I'll put a list at the end of the things that we discussed here so that you can you can copy those and write those down. And in the meantime, I will continue with the Educator Excellence series in terms of recognizing, uh, optimizing, and maximizing students' success in the classroom with dyslexia and put that out there for the new, well, before the new school year is upon us. And hopefully that will be some helpful hints as well basically with a math focus, because that's really my my interest, but uh, certainly the dyslexia and the math together, interesting package. So in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Peace out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Maxlexia podcast. If you've got any questions or comments, or if you're looking for more dyslexia related stories, resources, and information, reach out to me on my website, maxlexia.com. Peace out. See you next time.